Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, February 20th, 2013. We are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Chapter 9, The Family Afterwards, beginning on page 134. That second full paragraph, The Alcoholic May Find It Hard. Our readers today, in the order they will be reading, are Michelle, Fran, Robin, Judy B., and Sharon. The share code for Tuesday, February 19th, is 3934. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Katie, please, to read the 12 steps. Good morning, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pat. Thank you, Katie. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the Twelve Traditions, please. Margaret, could you press star one to unmute?
Margaret, are you there? I think we may have lost Margaret. Um, you want me to read it? I'm back. I'm sorry. This is Melanie. Margaret, did you say you're back? Uh, this is Marietta. I can read the 12th. Yes, I'm back. I'm sorry. I got, I got thrown off. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name in any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. And to those of you who volunteered to pitch hit. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. B, our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we will resume our study from the big book, Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, on page 4, uh, page 134, uh, the second full paragraph on that page, beginning with the sentence, The Alcoholic May Find It Hard. Michelle, would you begin reading, please? Yes, good morning, Victoria. Good morning, everyone on Vision for You. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The alcoholic may find it hard to reestablish friendly relationships with his children. Their young minds were impressionable while he was drinking. 
without saying so, they may cordially hate him for what he has done to them and to their mother. The children are sometimes dominated by a pathetic hardness and cynicism. They cannot seem to forgive and forget. This may hang on for months, long after their mother has accepted dad's new way of living and and thinking. In time, they will see that he is a new man, and in their own way, they will let him know it. When this happens, they can be invited to join in morning meditation, and then they can take part in the daily discussion without rancor or bias. From that point on, progress will be rapid. Marvelous results often follow such a reunion. Uh, So in the the first paragraph, um, again, this is uh, a chapter, The Family Afterwards, and after Father has has recovered and is working a spiritual program. And so it's going to be difficult in the beginning to reestablish the the relations with the children. Um, Why? Because um, in you know, in the home, communication was was often poor, and so the children, um, you know, in the family may be often like what mom did, followed what mom did, and that would be, you know, to shut down, not be communicative, um, get to a point of where um, they don't know what to trust. You know, things things have been destructive in the family, and so you know, generally we say we just don't trust, we don't feel, um, we don't talk. And um, we just shut down, um, or the children may shut down. And so without knowing it, you know, and without saying so, um, inside they've hardened their hearts and, and they're cynical. And there's hardness there. It's hard for them to open up. They don't know, um, is this going to last? Um, they don't know what to, what to trust anymore. And so for a while they're going to hold on to that. And they said even though mom is showing the way, she's accepting new dad's way of living so there, there's probably a sense of mistrust and not knowing um, yet. So it, in the following paragraph, it says, in time, you know, give this some time, um, especially for the children. They're going to see, um, what are they going to see? They're going to see a, a new way of living, a new way of acting, and with time, maybe begin to trust that this is something that, that is going to last. This is, um, there is a change here. And in their own way. So don't force the children. You know, don't force them. Let them in their own way um, come to dad, come to mom. Let them, um, you know, the program, the spiritual life that's happening in the home now gradually will soften their hearts um, from being hardened to where they'll be able to um, now join in the morning meditation. Uh, you know, they're, they're seeing, they're trusting. Uh, the spiritual life is happening in their home and then they can join in on these discussions. Then, then they said progress is going to be rapid. Then there's going to be this hope um, of the reestablishing relationships. And you know, I certainly saw this in my in my family. Um, you know, I had lived this destructive life and was so into myself. I didn't even see how my behavior was affecting my children. That's how self-centered and self-seeking I was when I was in my disease. Um, I thought I was there, but I really wasn't present to my children. And so, you know, it's been recently, um, I have adult children now, um, but they weren't, they weren't willing to risk um, saying things. They, they didn't know what my reaction would be. They knew what it was when I was in the disease. But as my spiritual life has enlarged and I've been recovered over these last past couple of years, you know, um, 
wow, what beautiful things have happened with my spouse and my children, especially my uh, child. I mean, he's 29 years old, um, but now he's talking to me. He's talking to me about those times. He's sharing, and I can listen. And we we do have um, actually communication and um and talk about, you know, God in our lives and how God is working and how God is changing us. And I have to say that, to me, that's a marvelous result. If I, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be able to have those kinds of communications with my children and with my spouse. And so we can have a sort of daily meditation, even though we don't live together anymore. And so this this is, um, oh, this, this is the marvelous result. This is that... Uh, Recovery, the families being reunited, being reestablished, that'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Would someone else like to comment on what was just read? This is Kim. Kim, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The alcoholic may find it hard to reestablish friendly relations with his children. Their young minds were impressionable while he was drinking. You know, this, once again, we always think that, you know, our eating is only bothering us. It's only bothering us. But I remember hearing last week that they're, because of childhood obesity, they're thinking this is the first generation that will have shorter lives than their parents. You know, and unfortunately with this disease, I mean, a parent's not going to give a six-year-old a beer. But we are, you know, often our children are our binge buddies. I mean, our children eat like we eat. And it's being seen. I mean, I live right near a high school and a grammar school, and it blows my mind the number of obese children I see walk past my door going to the school. You know, and how do we bond with our children? We often bond it through food. I'm going to make them this treat and show them how much I love them. Our family dinners are based around how much, what type of food we have. And when we become abstinent, when we start working in program of recovery and we withdraw those type of things, they're scared. You know, I remember my mother came into OA when I was 11, and we had spaghetti night every Tuesday night. And suddenly my mom said, no more spaghetti night, no more spaghetti night. And it was confusing to a young child. But my mom also remembers, I don't remember this, my mom also tells me when she finally made that announcement, one of the things I said as a child was, oh, thank God, Mom, because you're... She goes, you're so angry on spaghetti night. You're always angry. So the children are absorbing that energy. You know, so we start to learn we have to bond with our children in other ways. And physically, suddenly we're able to play with the children. We're able to go to their baseball games. We're able to go to the park. We're able to go bike riding, and that's wonderful. But also, you know, age appropriately, how do we share this program of recovery with children? You know, maybe that's a young child, and you're always complaining with them, Maybe we'll say, you know what, let's learn how to be grateful today. I know it was a hard day at school. Tell me three things you were grateful for today. So we can do this age appropriately with the children. But I think specifically with compulsive overeating, we have to realize that we are pushing our, our binge buddies, our, our children. Our children are becoming obese. What are, you know, we are affecting the next generation. And what's amazing is as recovered people, we can affect that next generation as well. And with that, there's such hope. And with that, I have. Thank you, Kim. This is Victoria. I'd like to share. One of the things that is so striking to me about this paragraph is 
while it offers hope, it also, in a sense, prepares the alcoholic, the compulsive eater, for disappointment. Um, it it brings to mind that passage um, on page 88, 87. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves each day, Thy will be done. I don't know about you, but I had the emotional maturity of a child when I started working this program in earnest. And I had a lot of growing up to do in the program. And this paragraph tells me, as a compulsive overeater, that if I have children, if there are children in my life because of their impressionability, because of their being very um, fragile and little sponges, that they may not immediately respond to what I view as transformative change. And being an addict, um, for me, that could be an excuse for self-pity. It could also be an excuse for a resentment against my children. Why aren't they coming around? Don't they see how I've changed, what great efforts I'm making? That kind of self-centered perspective driven by self-pity because I was in many ways a child myself could have been a big obstacle here. And the big book is offering instruction. It says, yes, there's great hope and children may not come around for a long time. And that's when I can remind myself I'm not running the show. When the children come around, if the children come around, is not something I'm directing or controlling. The last sentence on that paragraph, and the last paragraph on that page, marvelous results often follow such a union reunion. It's not always follow. It's often follow. In other words, the big book is tempering hope and enthusiasm with um, temperance and preparing us to live with uncertainty and bumps in the road. I'll pass. With that, would anyone else like to share on those two paragraphs before we move on? Good morning, it's Leah. Leah, Hi, good morning, Katie. go ahead. Okay. And then Katie. Thank you so much, Victoria. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says, well, first of all, we're in the family afterwards, which obviously is highlighting some of the uh, challenges and some of the adjustments that are necessary. Um, you know, once the alcoholic is recovered and the family is is adjusting and adapting um, to, you know, to a new way of life, to a new way of life. Um, you know, things aren't going to be rosy. It reminds me, you know, of that, that page 82, you know, ain't it grand the wind stop blowing? You know, just because uh, we feel somewhat stabilized, um, we're out of the disease of compulsive overeating, and, and perhaps we're seeing, you know, the light of day, doesn't mean that everybody's going to stand up and, and applaud. You know, it takes time for people to adjust. Um, the realities is that our disease has hurt people. Uh, either, you know, direct actions that we we perhaps put upon others or just our negligence, 
our irresponsibility, our uh, lack of dependability, our inconsistency, the fact that we were emotionally unpredictable, the fact that we were at times touchy or sensitive, um, you know, irresponsible. I mean, these things affect family members. They affect children. They certainly affect spouses um, and, and so forth. So even though we might be feeling better, even though we've got, you know, friends that are patting us on the back and we're having a good time in our meetings and, and we're feeling better and we're waking up a little bit, uh, you know, on, on time and with a little pep in our step, uh, doesn't mean that everybody's going to come around. It says their young minds were impressionable while he was drinking. Essentially, children learn what they live. That's the reality. Children learn what they live. Um, it says, without saying so, they may cordially hate him for what he has done to them and to their mother. Again, these pages were penned by experience. This is not some fiction that we're just cracking open in order to be entertained every morning. This is real stuff. And this is why Alateen was born, because it was important for these children and these adolescents to be given permission to talk and to feel about their father's and mothers uh, drinking, and the disease that was floating around that household. So Alateen was born out of this. You know, and participation in Alateen, which was a family program designed to uh, help stabilize and support these teens and these adolescents, children of an alcoholic, um, was of great benefit. And, of course, it introduced these same spiritual principles, which are universal in nature, to these children, so that they too had a life preserver to grab onto. Um, and it goes on to say, in time they will see that he is a new man, and in their own way they will let him know it. Now, it's a reminder, I think, uh, that you know, trying to impose one's own timetable on family matters on family unity, on family reconciliation is but another manifestation of the problem of self. It is going to happen in God's time. This is a period of adjustment. You know, we made this bed. Now we got a lion in a little while. And it may not be comfortable. But, you know, with with patience and by practicing principles, uh the family can be stabilized and restored. And indeed that, of course, was a major reason why AA grew by such leaps and bounds because, number one, these mothers and fathers, right, they got sober and they stayed sober. They stayed sober. That was number one. That was because the obsession of the mind was being driven out of these people. So they were becoming ex-problem drinkers. They had become ex-problem drinkers. And number two, their families were restored. And that's because... Um, of the patience and the time and the tolerance that was offered to each family member. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Hello, this is Katie. Katie, why don't you go ahead? Okay. 
I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater, and um, I was going to also mention um, I wasn't thinking so much of Alateen as um, adult children of alcoholics. Um, you know, this is suggesting that, you know, there's a difference between a spouse's acceptance of um, their um, husband or wife's recovery than the children. The children have been robbed of their of having, you know, what they view as a normal life that other friends had. And there's there's just so much that um, goes on, so much shame and so much um, humiliation and, you know, just wanting to, to be uh, normal and uh, to have come from a normal home. And, you know, I, I have no idea what normal is, but um, but through time this can be healed and each person has to take responsibility for their own recovery. We can't make another person recover, um, but just, you know, living our lives and continuing to uh, do what we're being taught to do is, is, you know, as Leah said, the reason why this program grew is because they didn't get bogged down by the, uh, their family not accepting their life. They continued to recover and then, in time, the family recovered. Um, it was not my experience that I was married when I got into recovery, um, but I grew up in a home uh, full of addiction. And, you know, I, I've had to learn from both angles how to be different, how to set boundaries, how to uh, guard my own recovery around my family. And this... Um, you know, it's telling us that they are can be our hardest um, group of people to deal with, but it's not impossible. And you know, I don't I don't judge my recovery based on other people's acceptance of what I'm doing. I, if I did that, you know, if I was constantly worried about what everybody else thought about everything I did, I would just be spinning in circles all the time. This program teaches me to clean up my own life, do the next right thing that God's showing me to do. And if people want to come along with me, that's great. But I'm not hurting anybody by recovering. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Fran, would you continue reading at the top of page 135? Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Fran, Compulsive Overeater. Whether the family goes on a spiritual basis or not, the alcoholic member has to if he would recover. The others must be convinced of his new status beyond the shadow of a doubt. Seeing is believing to most families who have lived with a drinker. Here is a case in point. One of our friends is a heavy smoker and coffee drinker. There was no doubt he overindulged. Seeing this and meaning to be helpful, his wife commenced to admonish him about it. He admitted he was overdoing these things, but frankly said that he was not ready to stop. His wife is one of those persons who really feels there is something rather sinful about these commodities. So she nagged, and her intolerance finally threw him into a fit of range, uh, anger. He got drunk. Um, what this makes me think of is singleness of purpose and that uh, it's a miracle that he's in the program of recovery, that 
you know, a drinker or a compulsive overeater to find the program of recovery. And if they're working a program, they're doing the best they can, and they can't, um, they can't do everything at the same time. It's just a mighty miracle, just the fact that they stop drinking and they're working a program of recovery. But for the actual drinker, on page um, 98, it says, some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth truth, job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. So um, he has to just follow, be spiritually fit himself and not be depending on what his wife says. He can recover with or without her tolerance. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Would someone else like to comment on what was just read? This is Melanie Judy here. B. Melanie, Hi. and then there was somebody else. Judy B. Judy B. All right, Melanie, good morning. Go ahead, please, and then Judy B. Good morning, Victoria. Hello, my name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Oregon today, and I wanted to continue with what um, I thought that Fran was saying about this, and that is um, that the bottom line is it is not his drinking and his, I mean, his coffee drinking and his smoking isn't what's keeping him sober. It is the grace of God. And therein lies the focus, the main focus, especially when things are new and raw in this area, is that is that, that part be overemphasized and the complete total dependence on the higher power and moving that direction is the bit that needs to go hand in glove in here. Um, and that, again, with what uh, uh, Fran was saying, that despite anything else going on, that my focus would be to stay abstinent and hang on to my relationship with my higher power that's growing and that no other thing outside there, somebody else's opinion about what the new, newest rave, crave thing is that would interfere or, or influence that, it can, can come into it. Keeping it very, very simple, keeping it very, very clear that this is a journey, a spiritual journey, a spiritual malady in that effect, and that the booze is down, the food in my case, is that the allergy is taken care of and that the obsession of the mind would be surrendered to God. I think that's very critical here because in the, the fact with this kind of pressure and the nagging and the, and the interaction interplay here with the wife's opinion and position on this was such a force that he thought his only option was to go and get drunk that we need to be very, very clear here. It's by the grace of God and that that relationship and following the steps is what's kept me sober, not whether or not that anything else is going on in my day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Please go ahead, Judy B. Uh, good morning. This is Judy B., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. I want to go back to the top paragraph where they talk... Um, about the members of the family and also about the alcoholic member, or in our case, the compulsive overeater. The alcoholic member has to act as if he's on a spiritual basis if he will recover. That's necessary. You know, no matter what the family does, the alcoholic member or compulsive overeater has to stay on the spiritual program that he um, 
has adapted. That's the only way he can recover. And then it talks about the family. Whether the family goes on a spiritual basis or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if they believe that we have recovered. The others must be convinced of his new status beyond a shadow of a doubt. Seeing is believing. Well, how can they know beyond a shadow of a doubt? They look at how we act. They look at what choices we make. And um, if, we, if we cave into their demands and, and let go of our, our spiritual uh, direction and don't uh, allow God to lead our day and help us with our daily decisions and choices, we, we, we are doomed. You know, we have to stay on a spiritual basis, no matter what the people around us do. Um, and I also uh, love to refer back to page 89 with this, with this paragraph, because that's the page where it talks about there is a long period of construction ahead, and this doesn't happen overnight. You know, this takes time. And what eventually will happen is that our behavior will convince them way beyond our words. We, we just have to be, to be faithful to our program and let God lead our lives one moment at a time. And, um, and then, you know, perhaps the family will recover. Um, but people have a choice. But the the compulsive overeater cannot cannot cave into the family demands because that that takes us right out of our our um, our, our protection from God. We have to choose we have to choose God over over other people. That's what we have to do to to recover. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Victoria star one to unmute, please. Would anyone else like to comment on these paragraphs? It's Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Oh, dear. Good morning. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Seeing is believing to most families who have lived with a drinker. You know, um, definitely we have to walk the walk and not be talking the talk here. You know, we've got to be walking the walk. And, and like you're saying, seeing is believing. You know, when they see that we have changed, that we are doing things differently, um, that's what that's what they see. That's what they're gonna. You know, that's what really makes an impression. Um, I had a little quote here in my book. Your actions speak so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. Um, you know, if I'm uh, running my mouth and uh, but uh, telling everybody how much I've changed, uh, that's not uh, that's not walking the walk. You know, that's not showing anything here. And this guy, he let resentment in. You know, resentment is our number one offender here. You know, and I'm responsible for this. 
and I, I must take God, when we're talking about the spiritual aspect here, we must take God into all of these things, you know. Thy will not mine be done. Lord, keep your arm around your sh my shoulder and your hand over my mouth. You know, Monica, walk the walk, keep your mouth shut. Love and tolerance. And when my actions prove what I'm talking about, then, then people can see, oh yeah, there is something major going on here. There are changes going on here. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. This is Victoria. I'm back. I lost the connection. Sorry. Anyone else like to speak on this section before we move on? This is Linda. I'd like to speak. Linda, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning, Victoria. I'm Linda. I'm from Connecticut, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. I'm in AA for many years and, of course, OA for many years, and I found in my recovery a slightly different... <clears throat> experience from what's been discussed. Um, in today's AA, where I am in Connecticut, people sequentially surrender in a you know 12-step program. They surrender their smoking and they surrender their uh, stimulants. Caffeine is trouble for me as a food addict and alcoholic. So it's uh, an update on what's happening in general. And I found for myself Years ago, I realized that my addictive stuff leaked into other areas, and by God, now I wasn't overeating, and now I'm smoking three times as much, and it's a killing uh, addiction. So I had to uh, go through the steps, do enough work, be given enough grace over the years, enough help from everybody to get to the point where I could surrender nicotine and um, and the stimulant caffeine. So... Just a different take on it. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Let's move on now to the remaining paragraphs in this chapter. Robin, would you begin to read, please? This is Robin. I am a, a recovered compulsive overeater. <clears throat> of course, our friend was wrong, dead wrong. He had to painfully admit that and mend his spiritual fences. Though he is now a most effective member of Alcoholics Anonymous, he still smokes and drinks coffee, but neither his wife nor anyone else stands in judgment. She sees she was wrong to make a burning issue out of such a matter when his more serious ailments were being rapidly cured. We have three little mottos which are a propos. Here they are. First things first, live and let live, easy does it. Well, what I've always heard is you take care of the addiction that's going to kill you first, first. And for me, it was, you know, definitely food. Um, and then uh, what I do or what I have done in the past as a, an addictive personality is I, I want all or nothing. I think, okay, now that this has gotten better, I'm going to take care of everything. And um, that doesn't work for me. I've discovered that... I have to, um, with my higher powers guidance, take one thing at a time, first things first. And that's why it's so important for me to have other people in my life who are also walking this path so that they can help me figure out what the first thing is. Um, because I, I tend to use smoke screens <laughs> to, um, you know, to muddy the waters. That's what I do on my own. But if I have you helping me and if I have my higher power my higher powers um, vision, then I'm able to determine which is the most important thing. 
and take care of that first and take care of it adequately, put my whole heart and soul into it before I'm moving on to the next thing. Um, and, and that, of course, the way this, this paragraph, the chapter ends is first things first, live and let live, and easy does it. And I would just like to talk about that first things first because that has been um, huge in my life, not just with food, but as I walk this road of recovery, it, it's necessary for me to remember this in all my affairs. Um, I'm a sensitive person, and I tend to um, think too much about things, and my brain goes in all different directions. And if I can focus things down to what is the most important thing in this moment, what's the priority item, um, then I'm, I'm able to see things more clearly and turn that over to my higher power, talk about it, deal with it using my steps. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. This is Patricia Mash here. Good morning, Patricia. Yes, go ahead. I just want to share on these um these little models on the bottom because <laughs> these are like for me um very helpful. For me, this first things first is that I I have to put God first in everything I do because me going first um has that's how I got in the rooms, you know, me me doing life my way. And the second one is to live and let live. And when I understood what that meant, I was really shocked. Because for me, it meant that I needed to live and let everyone else live their lives. Well, up until, you know, not that long ago, I was too busy trying to help everybody else live their life the right way. And I had no clue. When I understood to live, uh, that I could live my life, it was like it was giving me permission to live my life. I was like really shocked at I didn't have a clue how to do that. You know, so that one is very important to me, that I need to just live and leave everybody else alone. Stop judging them. Stop trying to figure their life out and stuff. Stop. And the, and the next one is easy does it. Um, be good to myself. I need to be gentle because I'm just learning. You know, and I have been very, very sick with this disease that, um, and it does, it isn't going to help me to beat myself up. I mean, being my worst critic is that's what I've done all my life, you know, that perfection. You know, and I need to be gentle now, and um, I'm in recovery. I'm, I'm recovering, which is to restore Patricia. You know, recovery means to restore me, you know, back to sanity. Anyways, um, thanks for letting me share. I passed. Thank you, Patricia. Would someone else like to share on this final two paragraphs? It's Monica. Monica, go ahead, please. Thank you, Victoria. It's Monica again. Um, I wanted to say a few little things on those last three um, sentences. First things first, okay? What's, you know, first things first. Never stray too far from the first step, you know? Who, who am I? Who am I? what I and what I am, you know. I'm a compulsive reader who's powerless over this. And, and, and also the other way of looking at this also is a first priority is that I put the food down. Um, live and let live. You know, acceptance is the key here. In page 417 in our big book about acceptance, um, 
is so very important, you know. Mind my own business, you know. Who died and left me in charge? Live and let live. Easy does it. Easy does it. Cease fighting anything or anyone, you know. Choices are always mine. And, um, you know, will I lean on God or do I lean on my own self-will run riot, you know? And experience has shown me that leaning on God is just so much better. So easy does it. Relax, Monica. Take it easy. Do some praying. Put it in God's hands. You know, when I'm trusting and relying on God and depending on God, then he can do for me what I can't do for myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. This is Victoria. I'd like to share briefly on First Things First. Um, on page 99 of the big book, there is one of the uh, few unequivocal statements. Often the statements in the big book um, give some latitude for different situation, different stage of recovery. But this is a unilateral statement. Let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. This, is, this just isn't so. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent on his relationship with God. And for me in recovery, that is the first thing that I have to put first and continue to put first. And given the fact that I had, frankly, decades of relapse before I found sustained recovery, even though I wanted my family to immediately grasp the wonder and the goodness of what I was doing and how I was changing, it was really a very unrealistic expectation on my part because they had been burned so many times. And... I think there was a lot of fear. It was a flash in the pan. So this is a marvelous promise that I grabbed hold of when family relationships were taking way more time or may, may not have looked like they were going to survive, that I could still recover. My recovery was not dependent on whether my family was in the picture. With that, I'll pass. Um, let's see, can we move on, Judy B., to the next chapter, which is to employers. Good morning. This is Judy B. Chapter 10, to employers. Among many employers nowadays, we think of one member who has spent much of his life in the world of big business. He has hired and fired hundreds of men. He knows the alcoholic as the employer sees him. His present views ought to prove exceptionally useful to businessmen everywhere. But let him tell you. I was at one time assistant manager of a corporation department employing 6,600 men. One day my secretary came in saying that Mr. B insisted on speaking with me. I told her to say that I was not interested. I had warned him several times that he had but one more chance. Not long afterward, he had called me from Hartford on two successive days, so drunk he could hardly speak. I told him he was through, finally and forever. 
My secretary returned to say that it was not Mr. B on the phone. It was Mr. B's brother, and he wished to give me a message. I still expected a plea for clemency, but these words came through the receiver. I just wanted to tell you, Paul jumped from a hotel window in Hartford last Saturday. He left us a note saying you were the best boss he ever had and that you were not to blame in any way. Wow, a stinging, stinging story. Um, But it just shows us that um, there are many alcoholics and many compulsive overeaters um, at work and in places of employment. And it certainly would behoove employers to understand uh, the addiction process, to understand uh, what's happening in their lives, because... um, it could prevent them losing a a very good worker. And um, I think uh, this this businessman learns later that um, there is a way to understand the addiction uh, that his employees are going through. And, um, and, it, and it certainly is good for business, and it's good for, for the, the worker. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would someone like to comment on what was just read? This is Janice. Janice, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. What a sad story. What a sad but very significant story this is for them to start out this chapter and I don't know about you but you may be thinking I remember the first time reading this chapter I went what does this have to do with me why would they put in the chapter to the employers in the big book well I think they're starting out showing us something very significant at least it was to me this man who jumped to his death he jumped to his death alcoholism killed him killed him You know, it's a disease of perception, and it's a disease of isolation. And haven't we learned that? It's a disease of isolation, and it's a disease of perception. And he had no way out. Obviously, this man, if he's anything like us, suffered from the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and it killed him. So this boss, his employer, who had had it, you know, who had tried everything he knew possible and still the man drank. That was the message that he got. You were the best boss I ever had and you are not to blame. Well, you know, perhaps this man did not have the opportunity that we had, you know, to find a spiritual way out, a spiritual solution to this spiritual malady. You know, does it have physical aspects? Absolutely. But the obsession of the mind was what killed this man. And so I think it starts out with a bang, this chapter, you know, showing me the serious and fatal nature of this disease and that it's in my thinking. It's in my thinking. Because we do not live in isolation. You know, yes, my higher power is the one who led me from this hellhole that I was in that was compulsive overeating but I live in the real world with real people. 
and I live, hopefully, God help me, by spiritual principles so that I can operate in the world in the best possible way and the way God intended me. So I'm so grateful that they start this chapter out with a huge lesson for me and a huge opportunity for me to see it differently. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Sharon, would you continue with the next several paragraphs? Sharon, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Absolutely. Another time, as I opened a letter which lay on my desk, a newspaper clipping fell out. It was the obituary of one of the best salesmen I ever had. After two weeks of drinking, he had placed his toe on the trigger of a loaded shotgun. The barrel was in his mouth. I had discharged him for drinking six weeks before. Still another experience. A woman's voice came faintly over long distance from Virginia. She wanted to know if her husband's company, her husband's company insurance was still in force. Four days before, he had hanged himself in his woodshed. I had been obliged to discharge him for drinking, though he was brilliant, alert, and one of the best organizers I have ever known. Here were three exceptional exceptional men lost to this world because I did not understand alcoholism as I do now. What irony. I became an alcoholic myself, and yet for the intervention of an under and but for the intervention of an understanding person, I might have followed in their footsteps. My downfall cost the business community unknown thousands of dollars, for it takes real money to train a man for an executive position. This kind of waste goes on, on unabated. We think the business fabric is shot through with the situation what might be which might be helped by better understanding all around. Well, this is indeed very, very sad. Uh, Previously, we had talked about to the family and and the impact that our disease has on the family. Now we're looking at to the employer, to the employers, and maybe some of us are not working, but still, to whomever, we've been involved with in the world, to the world. And what it says here is that our disease has an impact on our employers, on our jobs, on where we're supposed to be of service. I was one of my, one of the sentences that really speaks to me in this big book is on page 68. We are in the world to play the role he assigns. So God has a role for each of us to play in the world, and our employers is, is the world, right? It's That's where we do our work. That's where we make our impact. And so there's a role. And when we're in isolation, when we're in the food, when we're in our disease, 
there's a gap. There's something missing because we all, each one of us, has something that we are to contribute to life. And our disease keeps us from doing that. There's a hole left. This kind of waste goes on, on, unabated, unabated. So people being in disease, people, our disease, our food addiction impacts. We think the business fabric is shot through with a situation which might be helped by better understanding all around. Now, it would be wonderful if the world, quote unquote, would start understanding food addiction and start understanding the impact that um, food has on people like us. But um, I'm not going to hold my breath and wait for that. So what it requires is that I have to do my part regardless of whether the world understands us or not. I have to accept that I have this disease. I have to accept that I have to work very, very hard on my recovery. And not just on my recovery, but I have to extend that hand to other compulsive overeaters because we all live in a world that doesn't really understand what we go through as as compulsive overeaters. And so I feel it my role to be available to help other compulsive overeaters. It says here, but for the intervention of an understanding person, I might have followed in their footsteps. So here are people that are committing suicide, that are dying, and when they die, the role that they would play in the world goes unfilled. And so when we look at the world and we see that it looks like things are going to hell in a handbasket, it's because there's, what are we supposed to be doing? When we're in that dark room with the curtains closed, stuffing our face with food and thinking that we're not hurting anyone, the the work that we would do, the good that we would do is not getting done. And we think, well, look at the world. It's just so horrible. I can't stand to be out there. I'd rather be in here with my food. But the reality is, is we're needed in the world. And not only do we need to recover for our own self and for our families, we need to recover for the good that we would do because there is something in us that God has a role for us to play. And if it's not, if we're not playing it, there's an empty hole on the stage. And the, and the, and the world is not being what it should be because we're not doing the good that we should do. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. We have time for one very brief final comment on what was read. 
Anyone like to share? Okay. This is Leah. Leah, go ahead, please. Yes, thank you. Um, obviously, we've started to the employers, which is the big book's effort to enlighten employers about uh, the pervasiveness of the alcohol problem in, in the workplace. It says here, I had been obliged to discharge him for drinking, though he was a brilliant alert and one of the best organizers um, I have ever known. Again, you know, Speaking what Sharon uh, commented on as well, that, uh, you know, we possess special abilities. We possess special skills, uh, aptitudes. We, we, we have so many talents. That's been one of the uh, delights of being recovered and working with people in the trenches is watching them come to life and watching them be able to eventually tap into these strengths and talents and gifts that are God-given that have been lost uh, for years, if not decades, due to the disease of compulsive overeating. You know, we, we are bright, motivated people. We've just been afraid to live. Well, the program of recovery can take care of that. The program of recovery can allow us to live comfortably uh, on this earth and then we have an opportunity to utilize some of these special talents and abilities that we have to be able to serve. You know, we are good. Each one of us is special. Each one of us are precious. We are valuable people. Um, but it's saying here the realities of our disease. I had been obliged to discharge him for drinking, though he was brilliant, alert, and one of the best organizers I have ever known. That's the cunning, baffling, and powerful nature of this disease. Because however intelligent we may be, and however talented we may be, where alcohol is concerned, or for our case, where compulsive overeating has been concerned, we are strangely insane. Strangely insane very baffling to those about us, let alone ourselves. So the program of recovery, of course, allows for a transformation, but today, obviously, we get a good look of the realities and consequences of the illness. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Michelle, would you please read A Vision for You? Yes, this is Michelle. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.